G'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I have a huge announcement to make. Now as you all know, I've been working on my brand new book called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And I am super pumped to announce that it is now live on my website. It is live on Amazon. So please jump over to readgoosens.com forward slash books and grab a copy today. All proceeds from the sale of this book goes to charity. So remember to jump over to read goosens.com forward slash books and get your hands on one today. Now back into the show. It was never about us. It was always about the product. It was about the people that we brought together and what they were really buying was the system and the process and the product um, that would get them an outcome and a result. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Reed. Mike is a top bloke and he's also the co-director of Key Person of Influence Australia, um, which is acknowledged as the world's leading personal brand accelerator by Huffington Post. Since joining the company as a university graduate to begin making a name of himself as co-director at the age of 25, Mike quickly established himself as an ability to run successful large promotional campaigns that has brought millions of dollars through the door. Mike is known for his love of entrepreneurship small business and bringing the hustle. He also shares his insights via his very popular personal blog called, uh, named www.mikejamesreed.com. Please check that out if you do are interested in learning more about Mike. But I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show to share his incredible story and his knowledge about the world of business and creating businesses. But enough out of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Mike. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? G'day, Reid. I'm uh, very well. Thanks for having me on. Mate, my pleasure. Um, we met uh, a few weeks ago, or probably about a month ago now, at a little entrepreneurial dinner in um, in Los Angeles, sunny California, where I live. You are now sitting halfway across the world or at the top in North America. 
But what I was shocked to find that you are the co-director of KPI, which is a program I've talked you know, a lot about on this show. I've never been on the program. I've never been in the program, but I do pick up what you guys put down. Um, so really excited to have you on the show today to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, do you want to just rewind the clock a little bit and to, uh, tell the to listeners a little bit about your story and how you got started in the space and, and, and really what makes you tick? Yeah, cool. Um, so I uh, I met my now business partners, Glenn Carlson and Daniel Priestley, about seven years ago when they were launching uh, this business we call Key Person of Influence or our company brand is called Dent. Uh, and um, we were launching it in Australia and, uh, and essentially what it is is we run a personal brand accelerator for the founders of uh six to seven figure revenue service businesses. So established service firms, lawyers, accountants, chiropractors, physios, that kind of thing. People who are you know, good at what they do, but they've struggled to figure out how to do more effective sales and marketing and positioning, branding, that kind of thing. And uh, I, at the time, was uh, trying to start a couple of little business ideas that I had. I was fairly fresh out of uni. I didn't have a lot of experience, uh, but I had a lot of ambition and and drive and hustle and all those kind of things. So uh, I met my uh, business partners then. And uh, at the time I kind of said, Hey, look, I'm building these businesses. They liked uh, me. I liked them. And um, they sort of suggested, Hey, why don't you come, come work with us for a bit? And we'll uh, teach you everything we know. And, uh, and then you can go on, go off and do your other thing. And so at the time I did, and uh, very quickly we became one of the fastest growing young companies in Australia. Uh, we were very good at running large scale promotional campaigns for events that we did. So we'd you know, put 500 entrepreneurs into a room uh, twice a year in every city that we ran in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and Australia. And, uh, and essentially what I did for those first few years was really kind of learn how to run those campaigns and, uh, and fill those rooms. So on a regular basis, we'd be reaching out to hundreds of small businesses in Australia to pitch them the idea of becoming a, a channel partner for these events that we had on. And we'd say, hey, look, we've got a big event with hundreds of entrepreneurs uh, coming up. Would you be interested in helping us promote that event? And in return, we'll help promote you as a event partner at that event. And that was essentially the gist of it with a, a few other bits and pieces in between. And, um, and so we'd bring on 150 channel partners who would help us promote these events. You know, everyone would hear about these events when we first launched. And, uh, and so we kind of came into the market with a bit of a splash and grew very quickly. And, and then uh, at that point, I decided that this was a much kind of better avenue for me to pursue. It, was, it lined up with my passions. I, I kind of had these other business ideas, but really what I loved was entrepreneurship. I just loved understanding how business worked. I loved working with entrepreneurs, hanging out with entrepreneurs. Um, I didn't quite realize at the time that you could be in the business of teaching other entrepreneurs how to do better business. And so, um, you know, as we were on our journey to learn how to grow and scale businesses, uh, we also you know, had a company that was very specialized in helping people build personal brands uh, to leverage their own business. And so, um, uh, so yeah, so I kind of found that was the perfect thing for me to be doing. And, uh, and I invested in the business, you know, joined as a, uh, as a partner and that was kind of my pathway into it. Mate, that's, it's an incredible story. Um, so many questions. I'm just sort of right, jotting different things down here as you, you talk about channel partners and all this good sort of stuff. But I'm just going to rewind back to what you just said. How the hell did you figure all this out? Like, how did you know at 25 or however, I'm assuming you're 25 because that's what I saw in your bio, but how did you know at that stage, the three of you, that this was something that people wanted? Like, <laughs> like where did you even start with that sort of concept? 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. So, um, so I'm I'm 30 now. At the time, I was uh, 23 when I when I joined the business, and um, my business partners uh, down in Glen, they'd been running an events marketing company for many, many years before that. Um, in Australia, they then expanded to the UK, and essentially, what they did was they would promote authors, speakers, influencers uh, from stage, and they'd fill a room, put those. Um, authors in front of an audience and the, those people would speak they'd sell products from stage it was kind of like that day of informational products so whether it be options trading or you know wealth creation real estate investing whatever it is and um and what they discovered was they were very good at filling rooms but they also realized that over t as time went on they had a lot of people who were author speakers etc come to them and say to them can you promote us on your stage and they'd have to find a polite way to essentially sort the wheat from the chaff and so they'd send an email to those people saying look um for you to qualify for us taking you on as a client um we, we need to we need to make sure that you have these things in place number one we, you need a strong message we need to be able to pitch and communicate you really well um if you've got a book that's handy because that gives you more credibility if you've got products you're going to have to have products so that we can commercialize you from stage uh if you we need to make sure that the people google you good things are going to show up uh and if you can bring some kind of sponsorship partnership to the table that's all going to benefit you and so they send that email out with these kind of five criteria of what they were looking for and a lot of people come back to them saying um uh, you know, I thank you. I don't have those things in place, but it's given me a clear idea as to what I need to be more promotable or to have more influence. And so kinda, as they went through that journey, um, the GFC came along, the business blew up, but inside that process, they realized they actually had some really valuable IP around what made someone uh, an influencer, essentially what made them uh, valuable uh, from a positioning standpoint. So um, we kind of developed out that IP and went, hey, what if we helped people to go through the process of developing those five skills uh, and uh, position them as what we call key people of influence in their industry? Incredible story because it sounds like just through the boys' initiative to do marketing, like I wouldn't even think coming out of university, I need to go start a marketing company. Did, did, did you guys all have a background in marketing to understand that that was a thing people wanted? Because that's, again, like to start a business at, in, in your early 20s or mid-20s, it's just like you've got to have an idea that you see someone wants that, right? It's not just, oh, that looks like a good idea. I'm going to go give that a crack. But how did you come up with that? Like there's got to be a marketing background to it because, you know, again, my, my engineering brain's like, what the hell? Like going overload right now. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's really interesting you bring that up because if I cast my mind back, um, now, if you looked at our business, we operate in five cities around the world. We've had more than 3,000 founders that have been through our accelerator. Uh, we've been recognized in all sorts of international media. You know, very much kind of have a strong brand in the education and training space for entrepreneurs now. But if we went back to the beginning, really it was just a, a hypothesis. It was an experiment like all business really is. When we, we went, look, based on a bit of experience, we know that there are these kind of five skills that are important for someone building a personal brand. Uh, yet at the time, seven odd years ago, it wasn't really clear that everyone should be building a personal brand or that it would be valuable. And so it started off as an experiment, which was, you know, could we sell people the proposition of, we'll take you through these five things. Uh, it'll help build your brand, et cetera, and, you know, help you scale your business. But really at the time it was a test to see whether or not it actually works. We took a, a beta group through the process 
uh, a whole bunch of them had incredible transformations. Some of them five, five folded their income. And, uh, and at that point when, okay, we've tested the hypothesis, this actually works and we should think about how we're going to scale this business. So, you know, I vividly remember one of the first or second groups that we had go through the process and, you know, my business partner, Glenn and I would sort of, and Dan, we'd sit down and we'd go, you know what, I think this thing's got legs. Uh, we should really like go all in on it. Because at the time it was like, yeah, well, you know, we'll see whether or not this works. But like many other things they'd done before that, and I didn't have as much business experience as them, but you know, everything was really just an experiment to see would this work. And they did, they did, they did many other ventures before we kind of came to this one and, you know, had some longevity for seven odd years. So, uh, yeah, it's easy to say now, but in, in sort of retrospect, if you go back, it's like, well, really, we just kind of tested the market. It worked. Uh, and then we figured out how to scale it from there. It's, it's fascinating because one of the big things that anyone comes across when you start a business is credibility, right? And, and not having a ton of it, you know, being young guys, that would also have been a, a pretty big challenge to say, hey, to these businesses that are earning six, seven figures, revenue, lawyers, you know, you talked, mentioned chiropractors. Yeah, how did you get over that hurdle of, of saying, you know, we've got something here that you need uh, in order to make your business, you know, have an ROI on this quote unquote education platform that you're going to invest in as, as the business owner to then go off and expand your business even more? Like, how do you get, how do you cross that hurdle at the beginning? So the way we sold the program was we would run a group session where we'd, we'd run a big event and then after that we'd have a whole bunch of people come to some small group sessions and we'd take them through a process uh, and we'd introduce the program to them then. And Reid, I can't tell you how many times in those meetings we'd sit around with six to eight business owners uh, who were all in 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s in, in age group. And the, the objection that would come up in, in the conversation towards the end as we'd go through questions was, you know, how old are you guys? And, uh, and that would re you know, regularly come up as a question or an objection as to, you know, why they would join and sign up to this program. And as we said to them at the time, and as I say the same thing now, that um, what they were buying wasn't us. And I think this is really important for any entrepreneur to, to get, uh, especially when you're in the advice business or the consulting business um, if you build a product that's built around your own personal advice and exertion it really handcuffs you to the business it, it doesn't allow you to be able to scale uh, very effectively and so from the right from the outset we had a faculty of mentors that our clients worked with that were all our senior by many, many years and, uh, and also by experience. So we brought in the best of the best in pitching. Uh, we brought in Australia's number one small business author, Andrew Griffiths, who'd already written 12 best-selling books. Uh, we brought in a product mentor that is, was one of the global partners for a company that had raised the valuations of their clients' businesses by more than a billion dollars through productizing and product extending their clients' businesses. So um, uh, as we went through that process of, of bringing people on, we'd always just fall back on the shoulders of the giants that we were working with to, uh, to help them grow and scale their business. So never, it was never about us. It was always about the product. It was about the people that we brought together. And what they were really buying was the system and the process and the product um, that would get them an outcome and a result, not, uh, not you know, not the uh, young whippersnappers that were uh, presenting that proposition to them. Well, you're right. You're exactly where whippersnappers, right? And even getting the heavy hitters involved at the beginning, particularly as a young company, 
you know, cash flow would have been tight, I would imagine. You know, you wouldn't, you're trying to sell this product to, to, these, to these entrepreneurs or these sort of business owners who are earning all this money. Um, but I, uh, like, was there ever times where you guys like, this is, this, you know, you say it's got legs, but there's, there's a difference between having legs and then getting a revenue generating system from education. Like that's, that's two different things, right? So there's an idea and then there's implementation. So w- walk me through that part, you know, getting the Andrew Griffiths of the world on board and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, so I look at for, from my personal perspective, I was fortunate in that uh, I had uh, we had Dan and Glenn, my business partners, who had a bit more experience than I did, and um, and so you know they kind of had that under their belt. But nonetheless, they were thirty, you know, years old as well. Uh, and uh, you know we were talking to people like Ian Elliott, who was the uh, ex-chairman of George Patterson's advertising agency, which was when uh, Ian was in, uh, in in the position of CEO and chairman, it was the largest ad agency in Australia. And so, you know, pretty heavy hitting kind of guys. And so, um, so look, the way it worked was we would pitch them the vision of what we were trying to achieve and create, which was take people through a process around teaching them these five skills. You know, this is kind of how we'd proven that concept uh, prior to that point. And, uh, and look, at the end of the day, those mentors were a fee-for-service uh, kind of relationship. So, um, you know, our role within the system was to bring the pe- put the people in the room. As long as we could put 30 to 50 entrepreneurs into a room, um, then, uh, you know, that, that mentor would have someone to a group of people to present to. Now, what the, what the mentor liked was the ability to be able to uh, work with a group of ambitious, driven, dynamic entrepreneurs where they could actually really, you know, play a hand in helping them grow their business. Uh, and what we did was curate a quality group to begin with. So we would promise that look, we'd bring a good group of people together. You wouldn't be working with numpties. Um, you wouldn't be working with people that are want to be entrepreneurs. These are people that are in the trenches really trying to get it done. Uh, and just with a bit of guidance, a bit of advice from you, you can really transform their business. And, um, and so because we had the background and the skill and being able to fill large events, put people in a room, sell, we were, you know, kind of good sales and marketers, uh, we were pretty confident we could get the people in the room. But for us to get the people in the room, we needed to make sure that we had a really high caliber quality group of, uh, of people for them to work with. So in the beginning, we'd uh, would go out, pitch those mentors, the idea of joining us uh, for the program, get their buy-in. Uh, you know, once you get one good person like Ian Elliott, for example, it then gives you leverage to be able to pitch to the other people that you'd be joining a faculty of mentors with the likes of Ian Elliott, you know, ex-chairman and CEO of George Patterson. And so we'd bring them on board uh, on the you know, proviso. They'd charge us a certain fee to be able to deliver the program. But the program may not start for another three to six months. And so in the meantime, what would we go and do? We'd go out and sell uh, in the marketplace a big event where we'll bring five heavy hitting speakers together uh, to be able to speak at that event. And, you know, at that event, we then pitch people the idea of joining a program to work with those mentors. So it kind of comes down, it's a bit of the alchemy of entrepreneurship. It's it's the timing. Uh, You kind of get clear on what you want to achieve, which is we knew what we wanted to get done. Um, And so the first step was we needed to be able to, get the people on board. Let's get the first one on board. That'll give us the leverage to get the rest of them on board. Once we've got the faculty there, we can then go out and sell that faculty to the market, uh, bring them on board, sell the program, generate the revenue, then pay the, the faculty and mentors the fee for, for, for delivery. 
That's 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 absolutely incredible. And I know we've sort of dove a lot into the KPI brand. I don't want it to be an advertising for KPI, but it's it's very interesting because you know I've run I've run programs or not programs. I've run uh, you know meetup events, and you sort of get tie, a lot of tire kickers. And I see a lot of guys trying to start a whatever it is uh, meetup event, and they seem to fizzle out really quickly because. They're only attracting tire kickers, right? And they're not getting those heavy hitters, like you said, in the room that make it worth the while to move the needle. And I think that was probably what you just picked up. We just said was that that's the difference between someone who's just starting a meetup on meetup.com uh, versus someone who's actually doing something, you know, in order to enrich other people, other entrepreneurs' lives, and, and essentially move the needle forward, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And credibility is everything. Uh, you know, the only reason we could do what we did because we we're very good at understanding how to stack credibility and authority in our favor. And, and obviously that's what we do with our clients. You know, we help show them how to stack credibility and authority and positioning into their favor. But, um, you know, one of our, one of our mentors in our program, Matthew Michael, wrote a book called uh, winning credibility and you kind of get the sense from the title that, uh, a lot of success in business comes from how you create the right positioning around you, your, your offer, uh, your product and, uh, and, and attach enough credibility and authority to it for people to see that as, you know, something that's highly valuable uh, and charge premium for and all those kind of different things and credibility and, and credibility and authority, or how do I say this? Um, uh, you know, you, you can have a great product that delivers a great outcome, but if it's not seen as credible, you'll, you'll never get it off the ground. Yeah, and that was kind of the way we looked at, our product, you know, the most important part was the credibility of those mentors and then the rest of it would, uh, you know, flow on from there. So, so talk me through the, the importance of building this personal brand um, because, you know, it's 2018, there's a lot of social media, everyone's trying to have one, everyone's got something to bloody say. <laughs> so how do you be genuine in what you're trying to do uh, in, in order to build that brand, to scale, to, you know, you said stack credibility, stack authority in order to grow a business further? than what uh, it currently is. Mm. Um, I mean, look, the, I mean, the, the very starting point, right, is you've got to, you know, you've got to have the, the value to begin with, right? You've got to have the experience, the raw material, the actual insights to deliver to people uh, and have something to offer that's, that's valuable. You can't just sort of uh, create a personal brand out of thin air. I think, I think that's maybe where some people try and go wrong. They, they sort of look to all the tricks and the tactics for, how to build authority and brands, but it's all hot air and, and fairy tales. It's not, um, it's not based on substance of experience or, and, it, and again, it doesn't even have to be your experience. Again, you know, I'm 30 years old. I've got, I've got some experience in business, but there's no way I'd ever try and pitch to the market or present myself as being a guru or an expert. It's just, um, it's just not credible. Whereas where I can bring together a, you know, same premise, what I've been talking about, bring together a whole bunch of other people and I can stand on their shoulders. Then, um, by association that gives me authority and credibility. But look in, in KPI, we talk about kind of five key areas that you should focus on to establish uh, a strong position and brand in the market. Number one, you need a, a strong pitch. So you need to be able to clearly communicate an answer to the question. If someone asks you, what do you do? Yeah, you can, you can deliver a powerful answer. And you know, that's clarity of, of message. That's authority behind what you do. You know, what problem you solve, how you solve it, why you do what you do, all those kind of things. You know, we kind of take people through a pitching architecture, but pitch is important. 
Um, you know, one of the things we, we, uh, we get our clients to do is get them to unpack what's in their head, their IP, and turn that into published content, whether it be a book or uh, reports or whatever else it may be. But a, a book is a really powerful authority piece. It, um, you know, kind of, it has thud factor. Uh, unlike a lot of digital content, you can, you can give someone a copy of a book at a coffee table or in a, in a meeting or use that to leverage a partnership. Um, that's going to help catalyze and accelerate credibility really quickly. Uh, we talk about, you know, three, you must have uh, good, uh, good product um, that's, you know, doesn't rely on you having to show up and deliver it all the time to, uh, to get an outcome or a result for the market. And, um, you know, profile, online media, you know, traditional media, all those things help. We, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the media that we've appeared in, whether it be Huffington Post or whatever it may be, it's not by accident. Um, you know, it's, it's very deliberate in trying to get the, into those channels so that we can then use those channels to leverage, leverage the credibility of the brand. Um, you know, there's a few quotes that are rattling around around, you know, us being one of the top business accelerators in the world according to Huffington Post and Inc and entrepreneur.com and um, again you know those things that getting those quotes isn't necessarily by accident it, 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 uh, it works based on deliberate effort to develop relationships with journalists and get into those publications but once we're in those publications we can then use that quote forever and and that uh, that helps me when I go out and pitch for potential partners or if I go and pitch for some mentors to join in a new chapter new location that we're setting up uh, all of that stuff feeds in together, and and then the final final step in the process is partnerships. It's um, it's taking all that value you've got and, and leveraging it through people that already have influence in their industry. So, you know, who are the people that have already got influence? They've already got the communities. They've already got the attention of the market. And how can you be valuable to that influencer in a way that that influencer wants to share your message with their audience? Oh, that's incredible. And just to summarize, it was pitch. What's the second one? Uh, pitch, publish, publish. Productizing, uh-huh. profile, yep. and partnerships. Love it. Absolutely love it. It's, 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 a, it's a cracking way to just five P's, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Five P's. Mate, so to tell me a little bit more about yourself because we, we met a couple, I said a couple of weeks ago earlier in the show, um, and I know you're on a bit of a sabbatical right now. You're, you're traveling the world. What, do you, what's, what, what makes you a tick at this point in your life at 30 years of age? Um, you know, and, and, and what's the future got hold for you, you know, now that you're, you're having a, a bit of time off from, from KPI? No, thank you for uh, asking that question because that's the question I've really been pondering myself for the last few months and, and why I went on sabbatical. Uh, so I, I left Australia feeling, well, certainly I decided that I wanted to leave Australia at a point where I was feeling a bit jaded and a bit burnt out. Uh, been you know slogging away building dent in Australia for for six or seven years and um, loving it and very much feeling like it's it's a kind of in my passion but not feeling the passion and you know I guess I think a lot of people could relate to that but um, but it's like I knew I knew I was doing the thing that was me but I just couldn't really get excited about uh, about what I was doing and you know I'd put a lot of energy and effort into my professional world in my twenties but probably had neglected the some of the personal buckets around love and connection and social and family and, and adventure and that type of thing. So 30 years old, I decided, right, good time to, to take a sabbatical. And I'd always wanted to go live overseas uh, at some point in the future. So my kind of long-term vision was to set up Dent in North America. And, um, and so since being away, I've, 
I've kind of done a lot of that soul searching and a bunch of things have happened. I've, I've met a, met a gorgeous woman who's living in Toronto who I'm uh, madly in love with. And, uh, and, uh, but also I, one of the things that was pretty pivotal for me was I went into the Amazon jungle in Peru and I did a thing called ayahuasca. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but, um, it's a powerful, it's a powerful plant medicine. Um, that uh, you know has some kind of psychedelic properties to it, mystical experiences, that kind of thing. And uh, in the course of doing a few ceremonies of that, I had a had a real um, kind of moment of clarity around my calling in life, what I feel called to be doing, uh, mission, purpose, all those type of things. And and just for me personally, um, the the thing the thing that came to me was that look, I feel called for for people to lead extraordinary lives. Uh, that kind of has been a theme that's been true in my life, but it's been a theme of everything we do at Dent is about helping our clients lead extraordinary lives. And when I use the word extraordinary, I kind of mean extraordinary. So, you know, not the mediocre life, but someone who's driven by some purpose and passion and wants to go out and make a bit of a dent in the universe or achieve something. And that's kind of been my uh, drive in life and for many of our clients that's true and and when I uh, just as simple as simple as that sounds when I kind of got clarity that actually that's actually what I feel called for people to experience in life um, you know I'm inspired to do that in the areas of things like business education which is what we do with Dent I'm inspired to do that in the areas of things like finance and investments where I, I do a bunch of things around property and investments and all that kind of thing which I'm passionate about as well I'm inspired to do that in health and wellness because that's a, a thing that's high in my values and uh, and if I can do that with a lot of a lot of love, passion, and adventure um, throughout my life, then then I feel like I'm really congruent. Like I'm like a, I'm clear now as to my future direction. But everything in the past makes sense based on that simple framework as well. And uh, and so that's given me a lot of hunger. I, I kind of got out of the jungle feeling hungry again to want to attack business and life I kind of was sitting in a little bit of a malaise before going you know what do I do next and, da, 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 and a few other bits and pieces and I wanted to travel for a longer period of time I kind of set off thinking I'd do a 12 month sabbatical but I'm three months in and I'm like you know what I just want to get started now I'm like I kind of scratched the itches that I needed to scratch and uh just you know incredible love in my life I've kind of got this renewed passion for the business and um and so I'm now here in Toronto Canada to um, to with a plan to set up Dent here as the next chapter in our global syndicate and um, and then also you know a couple of other little business ideas and a, a podcast and a book and a few other bits and bobs I want to write myself so um, I've been I've been fortunate to be able to leverage a lot of the the assets and the the kind of the brands that I've been associated with over the last seven years, whether it be our mentors, whether it be my business partners, my business partner Dan's written four best-selling books, but um, but now is a bit of a time to you know start to establish more of my own platform and brand. So I'll be I'll be kind of a, taking my own medicine with KPI and uh, doing a bit more of that stuff over the next six months as well. Well, that's that's incredible that you've gone on a, on a journey to think that you're going to take twelve months off, but the bug. The entrepreneurial bug clearly hasn't left the system, right? And and you know this this whole adage of you know we invest in real estate and you know or whatever creating wealth and you know time is the most valuable you know asset that you have and you know at the end of the day I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs who who've, who've achieved financial freedom they're not sitting on the beach right they they get to the point where it's like sitting on the beach for three months is great but I want to get back into want to get get my teeth stuck into something right and it sounds like that's exactly what you've you've done you've sort of had you know got the itch there 
gone and you know addressed that tip tip of the hat to to that area, taking a bit of time off, pressing pause because I think pause, pressing pause in life is really really important. Um, but now you know with a renewed sense of um, you know ability to go out and chase the, the new goals, I guess is what I'm hearing from you. Would that be correct? Yeah, mate, a hundred percent. And I think pausing is really important. I don't think I would have found this kind of clarity or this sense of drive again without having cut ties with my previous identity. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot and reflecting on is this identity that I had in Australia as, you know, Mike running Dent and all these kind of things. Um, I, I needed to kind of cut that away, I think, to find more of who, why is Mike Reed valuable with or without what he's been doing in Australia and Dent. Yeah, exactly. And, and a journey of figuring that out, just even just personally being able to step in into your own personal power around, around that and be solid in your own value, I think is uh, really important. I, I didn't feel solid before. And um, the other thing I've realized is that, you know, I'm really driven by uh, achievement and growth um, and love. And, um, and, and, a lot of people talk about that we shouldn't try and find wholeness or completeness in another person. I don't know. This is kind of going a little bit off on <laughs> my personal, right. uh, personal development sort of tangent, but, but, um, but I, uh, you know, I kind of, I feel like for me, um, a strong driver is being, is having, uh, kind of that, uh, that driver of a woman love in my life that kind of powers my, uh, ambition and motivation and drive I, I just personally that's um that's something that kind of gives me a lot of focus juice and, and energy and so uh kind of being able to bring that into my life uh merged with a lot of clarity around what i want to do moving forward from a professional standpoint i've, I've never felt kind of hungrier to want to go out and and build uh and kind of create you know build the empire again and uh and yeah so i think um I think none, you know, all of that stuff wouldn't have come and I've not uh, done something kind of radical, which I think for most people at 30, they're thinking about laying roots and settling down, not selling everything and, you know, fleeing the country, which is, <laughs> which is what I did. <laughs> hey mate, been there, done that. It's, uh, but I just want to dive a little bit deeper into that because I think if I, I hear a lot of you and me in terms of, you know, you're in your 20s, you're an entrepreneur, you're grinding hard, right? You're successful in business, you're successful as this identity. However, other buckets, as you said, are not as successful. And a lot of, I see a lot of entrepreneurs, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs that have the same burnout feeling, right? And, and you know, I, I'm guilty of it myself and, and I had some personal losses recently that really made me say, start to think, okay, I need to pause and I need to enjoy the journey because what the hell are we doing in this life if we're just going to try and race to the finish line, race to the end and race to the top of the mountain when we're just, that's not the point, right? You know, you don't, you don't listen to a song for the end of the song. You listen to the song because it's a, it's a great song and there's choruses and all that sort of stuff. So I think I hear this very similar challenge, internal conflicts in yourself that you needed to take that pause in order to realize that you need to be successful in love, not only just business, but business is one of the many things that form success. And I see a lot of very successful entrepreneurs are successful in, in business, but yet they fail in so many other things, in health, in love, um, in, in you know, spirituality, or you know, just being present. Um, and and we're, all, we're all you know guilty of that as starting to be entrepreneurs. So do you have any thoughts around that and, and what I've just said, you know, summarizing 
what I think I've taken away from just what you've, you've summarized there in, in the, in the yeah, course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Prior to leaving Australia, the pendulum for me had swung uh, almost, I think, too far the other way from, from business. So, I, you know, for many years, the pendulum was very much in the professional and the business world. And I got so jaded and burnt out by business and not feeling, feeling fulfilled in these other areas of life that I got to a point where I was like, yeah, you know what, like, what's the, what's the, I don't know, trying to swear, but I'm like, what is swear. the what's, what's point? The fucking point? <laughs> what's, what's, what's the fucking, what's the fucking point of building a business? Um, I'm like, is that really what I want? Is that really what most people want? I got kind of a little bit cynical around the idea of, you know, building a business. And even, even with what we did with Dent, I was starting to feel inauthentic trying to help other people build these great businesses where it's like, you know, fine from, from the outside in, we might have a great business, but uh, I felt so unfulfilled on the inside that, uh, that it's like, you know, what's the, what's the point of all this in the first place? You know, really what really matters is love, connection, health, you know, those kind of things. And, um, and so, you know, without having those things fulfilled, you know, I kind of lost a lot of the passion for the business, but now that I've got a lot of those other things fulfilled, or at least I feel, I feel more fulfilled in those areas or I've discovered, rediscovered myself in the areas of love and connection and social and friendship and health and those kind of things that now I'm really hungry again around business. And, and I'm like, I want to go out and you know, run hard at building a business again. So I think it's about balance. I think, I think the dichotomy is that I was caught in, in this sort of pendulum swing from one side to the other and not feeling like I could find the balance and feeling a bit cynical and, and jaded that you could even find the balance. I'm like, you know, if you're in the world of building a business, can you in fact have the balance of all those things or must you sacrifice the other for, for business? And, uh, and, and now with kind of my, some of these new insights, I feel like you absolutely can, but like it's really important to make sure that you design your life in such a way that, uh, it's not all in on business. It's not all in on love, but it's how do you find the, 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 the kind of the perfect blend? And I guess that's what we're all trying to find. But um, you know, I guess my, my new mission is to, to is to to live in a world of uh, of balance between all those things, rather than uh, let the pendulum swing one way or the other. You no, know, look, you've you summarised it really, really well. I think that's that's the dichotomy we all face as entrepreneurs trying to give it a go, give it a crack, back yourself, go and start this business, you know, for myself moving halfway to, to America with no job and then, you know, building this business from scratch and building this podcast and all that great stuff. It's, you do, you do get burnt out because you're just working long hours, you're working weekends, you're working, you know, there's that, that picture of that iceberg where you see the success at the top of it, but underneath is all that sacrifice and, you know, failure and all the other good stuff. Um, and I can see how you can get jaded. And it, it wasn't as it, it wasn't for me personally until recently when I lost my mum that I had to take a pause and say, you know, what is what's the difference between goals versus priorities? And if you don't have your priorities straight, um, meaning that business is one of the priorities, but it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to come first. Um, you know, if you're not t- talking about health, you're not talking about love, you're not talking about connection, and you know, being successful across a balanced, you know, array of things, I think is really important to. Uh, for me personally, you know, through meditation, I've actually been able to, to to really, really find that that balance a little bit better. Rather than you know, on a weekend, instead of looking at an email, I'm trying to like just be present in the time and 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 you know, whether I'm hanging out with my, my my wife or you know, going surfing or doing whatever I'm doing, hanging out with friends, being present in that moment. I think it's 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 a struggle and it's definitely a learned skill and it's something you, we constantly have to 
remind it, remind ourselves and check in and, and do all that good stuff. But um, yeah, just you, yeah. Any 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 thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, mate, none other than I agree. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's. I think I think it's. I think it's. Um, you know, pretty common for us to uh, have the personal tragedy come along to really give us the, 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 the uppercut or the check that we, the, that we need to make the change. And um, I guess the challenge is about how we, how we make the change without necessarily having the, the tragedy be the thing that kicks us into gear. So uh, I guess hearing stories like yours inspires me. Um, sharing, sharing that story hopefully inspires others to um, really do a bit of a, a personal balance sheet on where am I at. Just a really quick, a quick share on that. I did something a little while ago and I'm part of a thing called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. And there's a, we, did, we did a forum retreat where we went away and we looked at values and I always knew what my values were, but, uh, but we kind of went through and we looked at, okay, what does it mean to have too little of that value and what does it mean to have too much of it? Uh, and what does it mean for it to be in balance? And uh, we kind of described each of those and then took the post-it note and put it on the scale as to where are we? We're too little, too much. And it wasn't until I scaled it that I realized, holy shit, like I, I've all, I knew what my values were. It's like, but I was totally out of balance on this one and, you know, too much to this one. And, and it, once I visualized the scale, all of a sudden it helped me self-correct to go, actually, okay, that's the thing I need to do to make the change. So, um, you know, without needing to have the tragedy happen, I could, uh, I could self-correct. So that was helpful for me. You, know, it's, but you, you bring up a really good point that, yeah, again, tragedy is a lot, spurs a lot of change and a lot of um, desire and um, desire for change, I guess. Uh, and it might be whether you're sick of your day job and you, you know, there's tragedies like life's too short, what the hell am I doing? Or it might be the other way where, you know, it's, it, I've got to have a, have a check or as you said, do a, a, um, a check and balances on, on your personal state of mind. But I think also having the ability to go to, you bring up a really good point, like having others around you, like, you know, the programs that you put on the KPI programs, the EO um, programs, where you can check in a little bit and have those retreats in order to press pause. Um, and it's a good way that I've found, you know, masterminding for me is one of the one of the things that I love doing a lot right now with other leaders in, in the industry because it's a way to check in and it's a way to um, take stock of where we're at right now and, 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 and make sure because that we're on the right path because being an entrepreneur is a bloody lonely thing and not, ha- and not knowing what others are doing and how, they, how you're perceived to others or vice versa uh, can get, you can get a little bit in your head and uh, it, it then can obviously snowball into other things, but that's a really awesome way that I think people listening out there right now can can you know if they're in that situation thinking, oh gosh, I don't know how to take check of it, or maybe it's as simple as joining an EO group or uh, you know a, a becoming part of a mentorship group where you can check in with other people in order to self correct or self check, and it doesn't need that tragedy in order to do that. So. Um, so yeah, well, mate, look, this whole show is about investing. We haven't even really talked any much about that, but. I know that you, in the green room, we're talking a little bit about love, wealth, and health. Um, so around the wealth part of, of your strategy, now you know, combined with all this, um, with your experiences, but also the sabbatical that you're doing, what's a sort of you know, new thing, well, not maybe not new, but what, what, has anything changed in terms of your wealth creation um, for you uh, moving into 2019? Uh, it has actually, and there's a book that I read on this trip that's been pretty pivotal in changing my thinking. Um, I have always been interested in wealth creation for whatever reason. I'm not quite sure why, but uh, I'm not a super material 
kind of guy, fairly minimalist, all that sort of thing. But I love building wealth because for me, it just gives me choice and freedom, which is which is high my values. And um, and so I've done that through property. I've done that through sort of investing in in um, you know private some private businesses and that kind of thing to some kind of angel investing and also uh, public markets and, and that kind of jam. But uh, the thing that's really impacted my thinking lately is I read a book called Anti Fragile or Anti Fragile. Uh, by a guy called Nassim Taleb. And this guy has written a number of best-selling books, but what he's kind of most known for is he ran a hedge fund in um, you know, pre-2008 that essentially uh, bet on the idea that in most economic models or the way kind of most people invest money is uh, we tend to invest money where we expect the you know the money to grow bit by bit over time, but every now and then the cycle changes where it uh, collapses and loses money. If you've got the share market, it follows a similar pattern. And um, and so he bet on the opposite uh, idea that um, uh, these times where things fall apart, what he calls a black swan, and he wrote the book called The Black Swan, um, is uh, an irregular or an uncommon event. Uh, that's actually a lot more common than most economic models factor in. And, uh, and so he bet that, uh, you know, these uh, unpredictable, uncommon events are actually a lot more common than you may think. It's still impossible to predict them. Uh, but he bet that uh, where most people would be bullish, you know, in a, at a time where, you know, everything's rosy and going well, uh, it's likely there's a catastrophic event coming around the corner. And so when the GFC came along, uh, his firm made you know billions of dollars and uh, he became very kind of known for that strategy and in this book anti-fragile he talks about this idea that in in economic systems or in any system uh there's three states that system could be in either fragile which means that when you apply stress to that system it's likely for it to break down or fall apart so when you take a parcel to the post office and you put fragile on it it implies that if you drop that parcel uh, the contents are going to break. And that that's something that's fragile. There's the middle of the spectrum where uh, something's robust, meaning that um, it neither breaks down nor improves under stress. And, uh, and then the final end of the spectrum is what he calls anti-fragile, which is this idea that uh, anything that will actually improve uh, or become stronger under stress. And so if you think about natural systems like, you know, nature, um, a lot of things tend to be anti-fragile. You apply stress to it and evolution and, uh, you know, natural processes can actually improve it and allow it to grow stronger. If you look at the human race, for example, you know, we are an anti-fragile system. Over time, we, we evolve and improve. Um, but it, it make, he kind of goes through and he, he explains that concept uh, with a lot of empirical data and evidence and all that kind of thing. Uh, around a whole bunch of domains of life. But for me, I found it really interesting thinking about it in economics or investments and finance. And I thought to myself, like, how is my current investment portfolio set up? Am I fragile? Am I robust or am I, am I anti-fragile? And uh, I have a bunch of property. I have a lot of debt, um, which I've used to be able to leverage my portfolio and you know, increase my asset base. But the problem with debt is it is highly uh, fragile. 
So if some variables change, like interest rates, uh, you know, if my cash position changes or, you know, if the property market falls all of a sudden or if there's a call on debt, all that sort of thing makes me fragile to blowing up. And so one of the things that he talked about in there was having redundancies, um, essentially, you know, backdoors, safety nets, all that kind of thing that improve your robustness. Now, it's unlikely to make you anti-fragile, but it certainly can make you a little bit more robust. And I looked at my portfolio and looked at the amount of sort of debt I've got and cash reserves and, you know, kind of assessed myself as being a little bit too fragile. So uh, that sort of changed my thinking around my investments where rather than being quite so aggressive moving forward, I want to make sure I've got more redundancies in place that, you know, if some variables were to change, if the market was to drop, if interest rates were to go up, those kind of things, uh, I've got more slack in the system, more buffer to be able to buffer me through those times so that, um, you know, I can ride the, ride the wave for longer. Whereas uh, at the moment, I'm probably, you know, sitting in, in a position where it's like, so long as things are good, I'm good and it's all growing. It's all going well. But uh, when the market, when the market collapses, uh, you know, can I, what level of collapse can I sustain? And uh, that's made me really, really reassess uh, my cash position. And, you know, so I've decided to sell some assets and that kind of thing just to be able to provide a bit of cash buffer. Interesting. Interesting. So what on the property side, and I love every Australian I interview, they say property, not real estate. So it's on the real estate side. What are you, what are you doing specifically? Did you, you know, with, with, I hear you when you say, okay, debt can be an issue, but if you fix the debt, the terms on the debt, you, you, you take that risk off the table of anything going, you know, bank going insolvent or something like that. So what are you doing specifically? What, what did you sell uh, in order to um, give you more cash? Yeah, so, so I've got one particular property in the portfolio that's performed pretty poorly over the last seven odd or eight years and, um, and so 10 years actually. So, uh, so yeah, so I decided to uh, get that off the books, even though it's um, not performed so well, it's unlikely to have strong growth prospects moving forward. It's not a great time in the, uh, that property is based in Australia, it's not a great time to be selling um, in the current market and for the, for the type of property is, it's an apartment. But, um, but for me, I decided that uh, just having that extra cash buffer, that redundancy, uh, to be able to create more robustness in the overall portfolio was, was important. So, um, despite, would you use you know, that, that capital to pay down other loans or other debt you have on other properties? Uh, I, yeah, I'd, I'd sit it in offset and, uh, reduce my, reduce my interest exposure and just have it there as a, as a, as a buffer for, you know, if I needed to, um, if I needed extra cash for even things like, you know, investing and setting up the business here in, in North America, uh, for dent and, um, uh, yeah, so I'd, I'd leave it an offset just to be able to offset some, some interest costs. It's, it's funny you bring that up because you talk about fragile, robust, and anti-fragile. And I would think the most fragile thing is moving halfway across the world and you know taking taking your, your profits and uh, and starting a business. What, what's the difference? What in your mind? What what do you think is the difference? Because that is pretty high risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, look, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are um, are kind of the really the source of uh, the source of kind of growth in, in any economy, right? Because they, they take on risk. The, um, the common perception is that if you're an employee in a stable company with a stable job, you are um, robust. But 
the problem with that thinking is is you're actually pretty fragile for the reason that most employees, let's say you earn 100K as an employee or 80, 80 grand as an employee, your income graphs where it's you have a stable straight line uh, of that income. But all of a sudden, if whatever reason shit was to hit the fan and you were to lose your job, um, income drops to nil. Whereas, uh, let's say me running a business where I have... 50 clients each year that are paying me a certain fee. Um, if I lose a couple of clients or a few clients or that kind of thing, um, the whole system doesn't collapse. It doesn't blow up. And, um, and so uh, kind of the, the counterintuitive thinking is that as an entrepreneur, when you've got uh, many, many income streams through many, many clients, uh, you actually are more robust than if you're, you know, an employee in a stable job, you know, with a stable company and all those kind of things. Because one unpredictable event can actually send your income to zero. Yep. Um, that's so, exactly. That's no, no, you, you you bring up a very good point because that's exactly what I do in commercial real estate. I buy multifamily, large apartments. I buy two, three hundred at a time, and the risk is that well, if one or two tenants move out, it's not that risky because I can spread the risk across many departments like you mm. you're developing a business but also the fact you've got the blueprint there right you've got the brand you've done the hard work you, it's replicable uh, you can you, rec, you can replicate it in a new country and that reduces a significant amount of risk given that you've also got a very global brand um, that you can pick it up and start building the business in in north america quite easily so, so unlike shit, I'm just going to try this and I don't know what the hell dent is and I don't know what the hell KPI is, but I'm going to give it a crack, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? We've got a proven track record and all right. those kind of things. But I didn't, I mean, intu I suppose intuitively I was doing this, but I didn't have a way to term it previously, um, which was, you know, all the while I've been building dent uh, as one of the kind of avenues of my wealth creation strategy, uh, I'd also been investing in public equities. I'd been investing in re real estate, and so all of those things, from a from a sort of a, a kind of an income and a wealth perspective, provided redundancies. Where had dent fallen apart or collapsed or whatever it may be, I've got redundancies and backup with those other uh, you know income generating assets. So You've got diversification, uh, right? That's what exactly, you. Yeah, exactly right, and. Um, and so, yeah, you could think about it as diversification, redundancies, all those kind of things. But that, that was just one idea that kind of really got me thinking differently about um, also in relationships, you know, how do I make my relationship anti-fragile as opposed to uh, just robust or, or even fragile? I think for a lot of people, whether it be friendships or relationships, um, you know, one kind of catastrophic event hits, hits a relationship and, you know, things can really fall apart. Whereas uh, it's, a, it's a novel or an interesting idea to explore a thought experiment where, uh, you know, what if, uh, what if negative events actually made us stronger um, and, uh, and these stresses actually improved the relationship or it improved the business or, um, you know, how do I create that culture within the team where we have an anti-fragile culture? That is, every time a negative, negative event or a stressor comes along, um, it doesn't make us more fragile as a culture or as a team. It actually you know, makes it stronger and improves the system. And so, you know, that's a, that's a cultural uh, norm that I could establish inside the business. And so just, just the kind of the concept of those three ends of the spectrum, the, the fragile, the anti-fragile, um, just gave me a really kind of powerful framework to think about investments, but, you know, business and other things more generally as well. Awesome, mate. Well, look, 
I know we've been we've been talking for nearly an hour. I could continue to talk to you for the next three hours, but I want to be very conscious of your time. So, my last, my, one of my last questions for you is: What's the future hold uh, in twenty nineteen? What, what, what's happening? We moving to, moving to North America? You 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 you're shacking up with this girl, and, and what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I am. I'm in uh, I'm in Toronto now. I'm looking outside, and as an Australian in Toronto in mid November. It's a bit dis- well, disconcerting and exciting to see that the, the roof I'm looking at outside is now covered in white. So it's, uh, it's dumping, dumping with snow here. But um, I'm here. I'm, my plan is to set up a, a chapter for Dent in Toronto, Canada. And, uh, and that'll be happening in kind of mid-2019. In the meantime, uh, I've got a podcast of my own that I'm launching uh, early next year called the Dichotomy Podcast, which is all about exploring... Uh, life's dichotomy. So, you know, I kind of mentioned that word dichotomy earlier on, which is, you know, feeling torn or pulled in opposing directions over different decisions or things in life. I'm really fascinated by that topic and that idea. I felt, you know, like I sat in my own dichotomy, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. And so I'm interested to have conversations with people around how they have navigated the great dichotomies of their own life. And, um, and so that'll be something of a project that I'll be uh, launching early next year. And, um, uh, and then there's been another business idea that I've had in the meantime. So I've kind of got a few irons in the fire that I'm, I'm wanting to get off the ground, but, uh, but dense, the dense, the kind of the, the, the main thing, which I'm excited to be launching next year. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, where can people reach you if they want to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to just, you know, touch and feel you and want to be a bit more around you. What, what, where can they go right now? So probably simple, simple thing to do is just Google Mike James Reed, R E I D and you'll, uh, see my blog pops up there and then uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, all that kind of the usual socials. So uh, yeah, it's probably the best way. And uh, feel free to uh, follow, follow me on Instagram or uh, add me on Facebook and uh, that's the best way to reach out. Awesome, man. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to, to jump on the show. Some of the, the big takeaways, I think, just talking with you, I, you know, for me personally, is just you know, understanding that you know, the human potential and, and, and understanding what we've all got to, to give as entrepreneurs. And um, I, I love talking to you about the whole you know, dichotomy, as you just said, about the, 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 the tort, being torn and, and how you have to press pause in your life and you're currently on a sabbatical and I happened to chance meet you and I'd already, you know, picked up the KPI book and it was just awesome that I got to meet one of the founders and, and now, but even you being a founder of that company, you needed more meaning in your life and you needed more direction and, and because you were jaded and the dichotomy of being pulled apart and what do I do and, you know, I have, I have other buckets I need to fill in my life. It's, it's definitely something that I can resonate with and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this show can resonate with because we're always trying to spin the wheels and you know, move, the, move the ship forward, but sometimes you're moving it in ineffective ways and because you are neglecting some parts of your life. I think that was one of the, the biggest takeaways. And, um, you know, I, I love the word channel partner. I think I'll have to hire you guys if I ever do a uh, – uh, I didn't get into asking questions on how you get bums and seats in a conference, but it sounds like you guys have got that uh, – that formula down pat, so I'll have to have to pick your brain in the future when I when I, when I get at when I get a conference. But mate, did I leave anything out? Mate, that uh, I think that's it. It's been a fun conversation. Thanks for um, stimulating thought. Mate, my pleasure. Well, mate, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy Toronto, and we'll catch up soon. Sounds good, mate. Really good to talk. Thanks, Fred. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice. Um, and if you have any questions for Mike, please uh, head over to mikejamesreed.com. Uh, he will be able to point you in the right direction. Um, now, remember, thank you again for taking some time out of today to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. 
Even though we didn't talk a lot about financials uh, on today's show, we talked a little bit more about the dichotomies of being uh, an investor and an entrepreneur and all those things and how we've got to always try to strive towards balance. If you do like this show, please give us a like on uh, Facebook or you can you know, leave us a review on iTunes as well. We're going to do this all again next week, so take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.